I am a child of God. I'm free from fear because I know who my daddy is. We were riding in the car and we had to go over this bridge to get to Destin. And Canaan was talking about how when she had gone over the bridge last year with Santresa, she just was freaking out about the bridge. But she wasn't even bothered this time. And I said, you ain't scared because your daddy in here, right? She said, you right. Tell your neighbor, say, you don't ever have to be scared. Your daddy always here. So we've been talking about, you know, being surrounded by love, being surrendered into love. How many of you learned something last week? Who was here last week? So we're going to walk through some scriptures, and I just really, again, what I said to you is that I'm not trying to convince you. I'm trying to invite you to become a person who lets the Holy Spirit teach you. Because so many times we end up in these wrong places religiously because we just take somebody's word and we never ask Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. So we run around quoting things, believing things, knowing how, learning how to do all the right actions, but not from the right place. So we want to talk about that today. Okay, so let's go back to, um, I know it's not the first scripture I gave y'all, but let's go back to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. 1 John 4. All right. 1 John 4, verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment, and he that fears is not made perfect in love, okay? So it's giving us something. I think it is the verse before that, or verse 16, does it say God is love? Yeah, go back to 16, and then let's go 16, 17, 18. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. He that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him, right? Verse 17, it says, herein is our love made perfect. How is our love made perfect? Because we dwell in him and he dwells in us. I, and he's love. It didn't say your love is made perfect because you go to Sunday school. Your love is made perfect because you get up and you do your devotional every day. He says your love is made perfect because you dwell in him. And when you dwell in him, he dwells in you. Right? It says, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that the word um, is alive. And so because it's alive, the word can mean lots of different things at a time. Right? So you, we literally can hear the same scripture and it will speak differently to us because the word is alive. Tell your neighbor, say the word is alive. And the great thing about the word being alive is that right now you have the ability to hear a scripture that speaks directly to you, even though it says something different to you than it says to something about somebody else. But what it ought to do for all of us, here's how we know that we are abiding in love, is that it ought to bring us to greater freedom, not more bondage. What we're hearing ought to be bringing us into freedom, not into more bondage, not into another list of 27 things we have to do in order to get it all right. It ought to be bringing us into freedom so that what we are doing, we are doing out of love, not to get love. It says, herein is our love made perfect. That word perfect means mature, complete, nothing missing, nothing broken. So God wants our love to be made perfect, nothing missing, nothing broken, so that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, right? That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. So that judgment can refer to end time judgment, but that judgment can also refer to any time life shows up to see what you believe. So if you're believing for healing, then judgment shows up to see whether you actually believe. And it says if your love is made perfect and God is in you and you're in God, then you're going to have boldness about the thing that you're believing for. Right? It says because as he is, what? It's on the screen. Y'all can look up, read it. Just uh, look up. Because as he is. As he, so are 
as he is, so are where? Right, right now, as we live. So the challenge that lets us know when we're not in love is that when we're not in love, we are always dealing with ourselves from our lack and not as he is. So when I am in a place of fear, I may still be coming to church. I may still be doing my devotional. I may still be tithing. I may still be singing on the praise team. But I am not standing in the truth that I am already as he is in this world. Now that gets confusing for people because people go, well, you know, I still curse and I still do this and I still do that. But one of the things that Valley, um, Elder Valley has taught us, Pastor Elwin has taught us is this, is that we are a three-part being and our spirits are perfect, right? And the biggest challenge with all of us is that we deal with ourselves from our soul more than our spirit. So we don't deal with ourselves from the fact that we have already been made perfect. We deal with ourselves from our flaws. We deal with ourselves from our strengths. We deal with ourselves from our past. We deal with ourselves from every place other than the place that we're supposed to deal with us. Because First Peter says this, it says, you are born again of an incorruptible seed. That means that once I accepted Jesus, what was done in me was perfect and finished. Say, what was done in me was perfect and finished. So all I'm doing now is trying to train my soul to catch up with the perfection that already exists in me. I'm just trying to get my soul to catch up with my perfection. Now, this is where we start to know whether we have fear in us or not. I want you to say, say, I am perfect. I am perfect. Some of y'all got all cringy because tomorrow when you cuss on your Facebook page, you got to be able to come back and say, I'm just human. I'm not perfect. The challenge is you're not just human. Because the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, meaning he is something that he did not exist as before. Before Jesus, you were just human. Now you are carrying the presence of God and you have been transformed into something new. So the challenge for you is where you're going to live. Are you going to live in your soul that sees lack and it's not enough money and it's no healing and it's no peace and the country's so bad and we don't know what we're going to do? Are you going to live in as he is? So am I. Could you turn and tell your neighbor and say, I've never seen Jesus have shortage. So if you have shortage, you've left your position. Stay in position. What's the position? It's the position of love. It is staying in the reality that we are deeply loved and we have been transformed into the image of his dear son. I am just like him. Say it. I am just like him. I am perfect. It is always easier. One of the things, if you ever had a good teacher, most good teachers tell you that you start with 100. That most good, they want you to know you started with an A. All you got to do is maintain what you already started with. You started with perfection. Stop sinking back into the place that doesn't belong to you. When you accepted Jesus, he made you perfect. Your perfection isn't graduated. You got the same Holy Spirit, not a watered-down version. Like, okay, so women, makeup. So you know how, like, if you know there's makeup, and then there's makeup. And sometimes makeup has the same label, but it ain't the same makeup. If you find a name brand makeup in a department store, 
it ain't the same makeup. If you find it one place for $90 and here for $19, it's not the same makeup even though it has the same label. Some of you are acting like you got the same label, but you ain't the same makeup. Same makeup. Same makeup. So it's important for us to realize, verse 18, let's go this. Let's say it again, because as he is, what? How would your life change if you believe that? How would your life change if you actually believe that? If you actually believed in his love enough to believe that he made you just like him, so wherever he has sent you is already whatever you need. That's okay, keep going. Verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love throws fear outside. So you have fear on the inside of you. I have fear on the inside of me. It says, but as we seek and soak in love, we don't kick fear out. Love kicks fear out. A lot of us, I was thinking about this, that a lot of us don't want to admit how scared we actually are. And because we won't admit how scared we actually are, God can't free us from how scared we actually are. So instead of admitting how scared we actually are, we try to pretend like we're not scared. And I used this example last week, and I'm going to use it again. It's like the person who tries to pretend like they're not afraid of a dog. And they got good strength as long as a dog don't show up. But if a dog show up, we got this little bitty dog. Her name is Gidget. Gidget probably weighs 12 pounds. Gidget is just, Gidget don't even bark unless she want to go outside. And I have seen people be like, I'm not scared of dogs. And then they come over and they go, you got a dog? They backing all up. I'm like, when she's sniffing you, she's not trying to bite you. But I'll put her up for you, right? But if they had admitted that they were afraid, I would have already contained what they were afraid of. But because you go to God and you won't actually admit, I am afraid. I don't know if there is enough. I don't know if healing can really happen. I don't know if I can really be happily married. But I'm willing to see something else. I don't know, but I'm willing to see something else. When the man came to Jesus with the son, that's all he was saying. He was saying, I have seen this boy thrown in the fire so many times. I hear what you're saying that you can heal him. I don't know if you can, but I'm willing to see something else. What you got to ask yourself is if you're actually willing to see something else or if you actually are comfortable with your fear. For those of us who like to be in control, if you didn't have fear, who would you control? I mean, you like to be in control. You like, if you weren't afraid, who would you control? You'd have to get a whole new identity, right? Because your whole life is about moving other people and protecting yourself. And if you weren't in fear, you wouldn't need to be in control. So what would you do? Who would you have drama with if you left fear? I mean, what friend would you break up with this year if you got out of fear? Oh, maybe some of you would actually get some friends and keep them more than two years. <laughs> right, really. Like, and, and, and here's the problem. You sing songs and you don't even realize they're promoting fear. No New Friends by Drake. It's a fear-based song. So you like 12 and you ain't going to make no new friends your whole life. You believe in God, you're going to live to be 100 and you 50 and you ain't going to make no new friends the next 50 years of your life. Fear-based. So it's important for us to say, hey, God, I heard what you said. I read it in your word and I believe it. 
but I'm not fully rooted in love enough to believe that this is my reality. But I'm willing to see something new. But I'm willing. He says, because if you're willing and obedient, some of you have perfected obedience. What you haven't perfected is the willingness for God to show you something new. Let's keep going. So I want to talk to you about this. Our perception creates our reality. Our perception creates our reality. But that doesn't mean our perception creates truth. Our perception creates our reality, but it doesn't mean that our perception creates truth. And the challenge for many of us is we treat our perception as truth. So you believe that because you think it, because you see it, because you feel it, because you perceive it, that is truth. And it is hard for God to introduce truth to you when you think you already have it. It is hard for anybody. Have you ever tried to tell somebody something and you know they don't know what they're talking about? Like you know they don't know what they're talking about. I don't, I don't mean you guessing whether they, talk, they know what they're talking about. Because if we're talking about the color of something, the color of something is based on perception. It's based on how your eye hits it, right? So we can look at something and you can say it's blue and I can say it's purple and we both right. Because we talked last week about how it is possible for more than one thing to be true. Married people, that will help you. You are not always right. And when you are right, you are not always the only one who is right. Just because it's your perception doesn't make it true. Which is why we say when we're counseling people, we always say, there's your story, there's their story, and there's the truth. <laughs> there's your story, there's their story, and there's the truth. That's not just true for marriage. It's your story, and then it's God's truth. It's what you think about it. And, and, and the problem with perception is that, especially the smarter you get, the smarter you are, the more likely you are to believe your perception is the whole. Tell your neighbor, say, your perception is never the whole. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says you see through a glass darkly. So whatever you think you see, you don't fully see because you can only see what you can see from your limited perception right now. When I'm standing here right now, I can see this way. You can't see what I can see right here. But what you can see right here and what I can see right here both actually exist. But if you come to God thinking that you got full vision. Then when God tries to tell you something, you tell God why what he's trying to tell you won't work. So God says to you, hey, this time when you get into an argument, don't say anything. And then you tell the Lord why it won't work. And how he don't really know and how they ain't going to talk to you crazy. And he like, but do you want heaven, days of heaven on earth? You like, yeah, after I get them told, we can build some heaven on earth. But they're not about to think that they can talk to me that way. And I not handle it myself. And you didn't even know that while he was talking to you, he was also talking to them. But you started talking so loud that now he, they can't hear him. And now y'all both up there acting a fool. And then when it's over, because ain't nothing worse. There is nothing worse than hearing the Lord tell you to be quiet. Choosing not to be quiet. And starting World War III. And then having to ask the Lord to come help you fix what you could have just avoided if you had just shut your mouth. Thanks for the three claps. God bless y'all. <laughs> Ain't nothing worse. The Lord like, just be quiet. You walking off, just be quiet. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. And they say something you like, and another thing. You need to know why you turned around. Fear made you turn around. 
Fear made you turn around because in every moment in your life, you are either operating in love and love would mean you would obey God or you are operating in fear. And so when you turned around, all you said was this, I don't trust your love for me, so I got to go back and fix this myself. So I'm going to take, I'm, and, and depending on, because I know some of you, you pride yourselves in the fact that you don't go off on people. You don't go off verbally, but you withhold affection. I know, I, I, I know those of you, I know those of you who don't black, I know those of you who aren't, aren't aggressive, aggressive, feel like you are superior you are not. You are passively aggressive, and you are just as fearful as those of us who hollering and screaming. Because you're not quiet because you have so much self-control. You are quiet as a means to punish. I will punish you. You talk to me like that, I will punish you. I will leave your text on read. I will let you see I'm not answering you. And if you extra petty, I will let you know I read it and not respond. I will punish you. I will teach you do not treat me that way. And if you do, I will punish you. Because God, I don't really trust that you working it out in both of us. I don't really trust that you working it out in both of us. And you really move kind of slow. So let me do this. Oh, I get it. You're not in a relationship. Great, but that's how you run your money. That's how you run your money. I was going to ask this question. I'm going to ask this question because I know this question will just, if you, Listen, if you lie about this question, just come on up here. Let me put some oil on you. Let's just fix it, okay? How many of you can honestly say that you are afraid that if you don't work, you won't have money? Can I see your hands? You're afraid if you don't work, you won't have money. And, and, and I love this one right here. I love this one right here because people are already, they're already formulating their answer and they coming up because if a man don't work, he ought not eat and so-and-so and all of this different stuff and God ain't never told me to quit my job. First of all, I never ask any of y'all to quit y'all job. I just ask you a question because if you're willing to see something different, so I want you to hear me. So if I go to work because I am afraid that I won't have money, I can never be in love at work. I love it. I'm fighting with the pastor up here. The pastor up here, I can hear him. No, no, no. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's what you think you do. You think you go to work to get paid. So you get terrified when somebody plays with the money. I'm not telling you not to work. I'm saying that if you went to work as an expression of his love, he would be obligated to take care of you financially because his word says he is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. He did not say he was un that he wouldn't forget your labor. No, 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 no. And I ain't mad at your fear demon either. Come on, work through it. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be working the very job you're working right now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you believe as a kingdom citizen, bring a basket for this or something. 
If you believe as a kingdom citizen, I love the saints and I love that we go to church together because I can see your faces. Y'all like, I ain't even doing this today. Hear me. Say it again. Say it again. Say, I know what I believe, I know what I believe. But, I'm but I'm willing to hear something different. I am not telling you you should not work. I am telling you that as a kingdom citizen, everything you do should be an expression of love. If it is an expression of love, then according to the word, now you ain't got to believe me, according to the word, God says he is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. Not your labor, your labor of love. And the reason you feel that way, the reason that you feel that way is what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Guys, Adam and Eve worked before sin. This ain't about you just laying on the beach all day hoping. Even if you had money, if you were a kingdom citizen, there's still work for you to do. This ain't about the whole unplug, chill for life, become like SpongeBob and Patrick. That's not what we're called to. Before Adam ever had a need, he had an assignment. God never intended for your assignment to get your provision. He said, if you, I get it because we live in America and it's hard. And so you like, well, what about this? And there's not enough this. Okay, let's back up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's back up. Let's come back over here. Let's start with this. Say this. There is no shortage. There is no shortage. So you say, I hear you, there is no shortage, but I have experienced shortage. I have experienced shortage because I either didn't know or I, in a family that didn't know, in a place that didn't know, that there were, even if they went to church, that there was a realm where I was doing the same movements, but they weren't based in fear. I'm not talking about changing your movements, although some of you might. I'm talking about changing what's driving your movements. Because what you're doing is either rooted in love. I'm in this place because God called me to be in this place at this time. Okay, all right. Y'all going to be tough today. Okay, all right, so let's, uh, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's, let's try this. Say this. Everybody has a calling. Everybody has a calling. So if everybody has a calling and God has given everybody a calling and he's given everybody a calling because you couldn't come here unless you had a calling, right? So if God called you to be a teacher or God called you to be a pharmacist or God called you to be in retail or a lawyer or a doctor, then your yes to that call qualifies you for the provision. So what happens is that we begin to think that we have to separate our love walk from our career because we believe that love is weak. That's the real issue why you can't get most people to step in to live in love. You actually believe that love is the weaker power. You think love means people walk over you? 
that love means that you give everything away? You think love means that somebody's going to take advantage of you? You mean you think that love means all of these things? The Bible says God is love. But God ain't no punk. But you think that God calling you into love means you got to be a punk. It means people got to walk over you, people get to take advantage of you, people get to pay you the least amount of money, so you wouldn't dare actually take the job God called you to take and then stay in the space, in love, in the job because you are terrified that saying yes to love puts you at a disadvantage. All right, you don't believe me? Ask the Holy Spirit if I'm telling the truth. The Bible says he is the truth. Ask him if it's true. So when my perception is that there is shortage, I create a reality where there is shortage. Some of you make more money than you've ever made before and you feel the same shortage and fear that you had when you didn't have nothing because it is not money that gives peace. The challenge is that we treat our perception and our reality as though they are truth and doing them keeps us from truth. So when I decide this is the only way that God can make me rich, this is the only way that I could have enough money. Hey, could I point out for FOC people, some of y'all visitors, but for FOC people, I want to prove to you that in your heart you don't actually really believe that you are just responsible for what you can make by what you work. Can you pull up the confession that we used to make over the offering? As we receive today's offering, we are believing you for. just curious do you only believe it when you bring the offering and push push pay or do you believe that even if you're in a place right now where you're not making as much as you would like to make that if you treat it as a labor of love that God is then obligated go back to the first slide of this go back to the first slide as we receive today's offering, we are believing you. We are believing you. We believe in the God of provision. So at the end of the day, I don't care how you do it. I just believe that as I join my value system to yours, your value system is always love. So as I leave the fear of not having enough, as I leave the fear of tithing, as I leave the fear of being generous, as I leave the fear of believing that I can say yes to the call of God and still have provision, as I leave my value system and join my value system to yours, I believe you will do all of those things, however you want to do them. 
when I'm still trying to calculate how he's going to do it. It's proof I'm in fear. Now, I know some of you super analytical people, you're like, are you saying we shouldn't write our budget? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is that God is smarter. I'm saying that you can write down everything you need to pay and have an order for how you need to pay it. And if you are in love, he'll say, don't pay that now. Pay this thing right here. And then you'll pay that thing right there and you'll be like, but this thing right here is due. He like, don't, don't pay this. Don't pay that. And then you'll end up with a testimony and be like, I called the place and they said, I got a credit. How did I get a credit? Love. Because every bit of favor, mercy, grace, abundance, provision, healing, miraculous, anything God ever does, it is done from love. Now, we do stuff for people out of obligation, but God never does anything out of obligation. He always does it from the river of love. So your circumstances are designed to keep you out of love. I'm almost done. It's cool. That's why we have to be willing when we read scripture, when we pray, when we go to work, when we engage with people to say, okay, God, I know what I see, but I'm willing to see something else. Anybody who could have got divorced and didn't, you didn't get divorced because God let you see something else. If you had looked at what was in front of you, you would have took up a GoFundMe to get out of that. you like, whatever it takes, get me out. But as you're contemplating whether you should stay or not, God begins to drip vision of something else. And if you will partner with the something else, you'll get to see the something else. That's why counseling don't mean a thing unless you're willing to see something else. You can go to therapy all day long. But if you ain't willing to let your story go, you can have the best therapist. Jesus is the best therapist in the world. You done took that same problem to him 20,000 times. And when you get through crying over it, you put it back on your back and take out and deal with the world. It all is predicated on us making a decision. Okay, God, I need to work. You created me to work. You created me to do some work in the earth. You gave me some gifts and some talents. You told me to be, you know, you, you gave me some different talents from this person and that person. So if you called me into corporate America, what are you trying to show me here? But what happens for us is that most of us, if we're honest, our environment is working on us way more than we working on our environment. Okay, let's walk through it. Anybody ever prayed for a job and then they got it and they were so excited? Let me see your hands. You was believing God for a job. You had all the saints praying for you. You sold a special seed. You got your resume looked at. You was believing God. You was like, this is God. And then you got there, and then it was a little crazy. But maybe in the beginning, because you were so new and untainted, you didn't even notice it was crazy. Let me tell you where I see this best, with teachers. New teachers be so excited. They're like, we're going to change the world. We're going to teach all of these kids to read. This is going to be amazing. This is wonderful. Everybody's going to be on grade level. And it's always some teacher who's been there 20 years too long. We can't help everybody. We can't help all of the kids. And in the beginning, you're like, Miss Smith, she's just crazy. She doesn't even know. And you're so excited, right? But if you keep on hanging around over there with the Miss Smiths, before you know it, you start looking at them kids the same way as everybody else. So if you go to a job and you believe that God called you to that job, let me help you. God didn't just call you there to be to get a check. 
God never calls you any place for money because he could just put money in your hand. God calls you someplace because there's a purpose on your life. There's something on the inside of you that is needed in that place. So then what the enemy's job is to do is to raise up at least two good crazy people. And then you get so focused on the crazy people. Because I want you to hear me. There is a difference in a job being a wrong fit because it's a wrong fit and a job becoming a wrong fit because of who you're focusing on. All right, I wasn't even going to talk about this today. Let's go to Psalms 119, 130. Love is greater than fear. And I know this to be true. And everybody knows it to be true. You got some people in your life that if they call you because you stay in such a place of love with them, if they call you, you just answer the phone and see what they want. You got some other people in your life where you're not in a great place of love with them, that when they call you, you roll your eyes and take a deep breath and try to decide if you're in the space to be able to answer the call. They could tell you the exact same thing. It's not the thing, it's the position. The entrance of the word, your words, give light. I need light to get revelation. That's why I have to ask the Holy Spirit to show me what I need to see. Because if not, you're judging everything from a place of fear and not even realizing it. I'm protecting myself. I'm taking advantage of myself. I'm, I, I ain't nobody going to take advantage of me. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. God, what would you like me to see here? What are you trying to teach me here? Hold on. Calm down. I'm not saying you don't need to leave the job that you at. Here's what I'm saying. That if you miss the lesson here, you'll see the lesson again. That's why some of you, every time you date somebody, you feel like you're dating the same person. You're dating the same person because you're not learning the lesson of the dating. So because you don't ask God, what exactly am I supposed to learn here? Because here is what fear does. When something goes wrong, we find somebody to blame. Those of us who don't like depression blame other people. People who are depressed are blaming themselves. People who are angry, we blaming you. This didn't work because of you. This would have been a good place because of you. You ruined this marriage. You ruined this love. You the reason that I don't have more money. You did this. Like some of you 34 are still blaming your mama because she put something in your name at 16. You ain't got bad credit because of that now. You, you, at 34, your credit is not bad because your mama put, got credit cards in your name when you was a kid. I never got a fair shot. I didn't even get a fair shot. Because you think you didn't get a fair shot, you can't even see the favor shot. When you focus on not getting a fair shot, you miss the favor shot. You have never had anything in your life that God doesn't have the ability to make right. Not any injury, not any disappointment, not any betrayal. There is nothing. You will, if, if you let God heal you, you'll have a friend betray you and God will send you a better friend than the friend that you thought you lost. You'll be like, oh my God, I thought this was a great friend. You, you have cried over people that now if the Lord tried to give you, you would run away. You have begged the Lord not to let people leave your life. That if they showed up now, you would be like, uh-uh, bad idea, go away. What does that say to us? We don't even really know what we want if he don't tell us. We pick out of our experience. We pick out of our perception. We pick out of our fear. Let's look at John 8 and 12 and then John 8 and 32. I'm almost done, guys. I'm almost done. 
Uh-uh. <laughs> it says, and then Jesus spoke to them and said, what? I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So he says, hey, if you want to be able to see, find the light. Now, you know this because in the dark room, your cell phone can light up a room full of darkness. But we spend most of our time dissecting darkness. You never find truth and light dissecting darkness. But you can bring light, and light cuts through darkness. When you're trying to see in darkness, you don't say bring in more darkness. When you're trying to see in darkness, you say, if we was out here at night, we can't see you. Somebody say, anybody got a light? Because even the, phone, the flashlight on your phone can illuminate at least the steps that you need to take next. So his word gives us light. I may not know what's up there, but if I follow the word right here, it will light my path. And even though darkness is all around me, Pastor Evan read Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen up on you. Even though there's darkness all around, it says that all you need is that the light is on you. Here's all he's saying. There is fear all around. Everywhere you go, somebody is telling you what can't be healed, what can't be done, what cannot happen, what cannot be conceived, what cannot be fixed. He said, keep your eyes on the light. He says, if you keep your eyes on the light, you will end up becoming a testimony of what's possible when somebody stands in love in the midst of fear. John 8 and 32. Jesus says, I'm light. He says, so here's what light does, light and truth. Light, truth, love, same. He says, so then what makes you free? Truth. So he sends light so you can see truth, which is why the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. One of the most honest things any of us could do is take Isaiah 55 to heart. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. But the Holy Spirit will adjust my thoughts to be with his thoughts. And what most of us are fighting is not something external. We are fighting the submission of love where God tries to teach us to think like he thinks. So what we practice doing as a person who was not good at math, let me help you. Um, I struggled with math. And because I struggled with math, I tried to mimic formulas without understanding why. And it was the reason that I could always copy the problem when the teacher was writing on the board. But I couldn't do the homework because I was trying to learn the formula without understanding the why. Many of us have tried to get the promises of God trying to learn the formulas. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together. So we give, and then we wonder why we don't have it come back to us. We've tried to learn the formula. God is like, the formulas can be suspended. I'm God. Jesus walked on water. He multiplied fish and loaves. He took a Long John Silver snack pack and fed 5,000 people. We know that God can suspend the laws. So if I understand the intent, even if I don't know the principle, I can walk in dominion. But if I know the spiritual law, but I don't know the intent, I'm still doing it out of fear. All right, last scripture. Say it. Say, Holy Spirit, show me something new. Say, I know what I see, but I'm willing to see something different. Listen, money ain't really my story. I don't have no lot of struggle with money. I just kind of think the money will always be there. 
It's always there. But what has been my struggle, which I tell you guys about all the time, is letting people close to me. Like, I'm like, money ain't really that big a deal. You can get money back. But you hurt my heart. Now I got to try to figure out how to kill you and not go to jail. And I can remember, and I'm going to keep coming back to this because this is my point of transformation. My point of transformation is when the Lord would say to me, hey, you don't really trust that one. I'd be like, yes, I do. First of all, anytime the Lord tell you something, he right, you wrong. Anytime the Lord tell you something, say whenever the Lord tell me something, he's right. I'm wrong. That's why I talked to you last week about carrying the past into the present. Man, it was talking about this. Nobody ever is really living in the present unless you make an intentional decision to live in that moment. We were talking about this when we were on vacation. When we're on vacation and we're with people, we typically just pick up the bill. But here's the thing. We both had an experience. When he went with his friends who had money, the dad always picked up the bill. He never asked him if he had money. So he comes into the place from the past thing saying, hey, it's possible that this kid might not have enough money to eat in this place, so I'll just take care of the bill. All of your past isn't bad. That's a good thing where he's like, hey, I'm going to be a blessing. I'm never going to let this kid feel like that they don't have enough provision to sit at this table, right? I had a friend whose mom did the same thing to me. Whenever we went out, she's like, I don't need your money. You good. So that past shows up in our present in how we deal with people. That's a good way. But what about the negative stuff from your past that shows up with how you deal with people? Or how you deal with work? Or how you deal with sickness? Or how you deal with conflict? That's why I have to say I know what I see, but I'm willing to see something different. And I was saying this to Evelyn on vacation, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, and I'm done. 1 Corinthians 2, you can pull it up. But I just remember when the Lord was really talking to me about, like, being tenderhearted, and anybody who knows me know that I think the tenderheartedness is still overrated. Like, I'm just like, all that tenderhearted, all that tender heart, bear, crying. You see, you can still kind of hear the disdain in my voice when I talk about it, right? And Chris would say years ago, she would say, you know, it's okay to cry. Well, why would we want to cry? If, it's, if we should cry, we should fight. If somebody has made us mad enough to cry, let's just beat them up. Right? That. Chris would rub me on the back and she'd be like, mom, it's okay. I'd be like, nobody wants to be like you crying all the time. She would just say, crying is good for you. I still don't really understand that. But I'm proof that you don't have to understand something to submit to what God is trying to do in your life. So I have these series of events because I'm a firm believer. If people tell their stories, you can see yourself. Your story may be about money. Your objective may be money. Your objective may be love. Whatever the case may be. But Valley takes pictures all the time. And one day, we're walking out to greet them because if you saw that thing on my Facebook page, in our family, we, it always takes us two hours to say goodbye. Right? We're walking them out. And when we're walking them out, I lean on Edwin or something. And Valley says, mm, that's interesting. I say, what? He says, you never touch him first. I'm like, yes, I do. Everyone says, no, you don't. I go, yes, I do. He's like, you can't tell me how much you tell, touch me. I can. Did you hear me? I touch you all the time. I know that this is a bad place because Chris does what Chris does when she feels like I'm going to get worked up. She comes and she rubs my back and she says, it's okay, mom. You got to learn to know the clues when somebody's telling you that you need to shift. She rubs me on the back. She says, it's okay, mom. She knows that at this point that whatever he says, I'm about to be triggered. So she just rubs me on the back and says, it's okay, mom. So the next couple of days, I am really bothered by this. I am aggravated, first of all, that Valley said this. Because first of all, Valley don't even talk except to be funny. So I'm like, how, like, what, like... 
Who are you? Like, I'm just telling you my own story about what happens when truth starts to come up. I'm like, first of all, who is valid to be judging whether I touch drink or not? He ain't even here all the time. But then Edwin said, no, I don't. And then Chris rubbed my back. So then I knew it was true. It's valid. It's strict. It's Chris. So I started asking the Lord, like, what's up with that? Because I really love Edwin. I mean, you know, if, if you know me, you know I really love him, right? Y'all didn't say right. Dang. Whoa. Do you know I really love you? I'm not, I'm not sure what happened here. So anyway, the Lord starts walking me through things that have happened in my life that make me closed emotionally. So even though I love people, like, I'm not, like, really touchy. I'm like, uh, that's enough. What's up? What's up? All right. And the Lord said to me, you think that's your real personality. This go help somebody. You think your real personality is that distant. You think that's your real personality. That's not your real personality. That's what fear created. Well, first of all, how dare God tell me I was afraid of something? Because I ain't never scared. He like, oh, but you are. You're terrified that you will open your heart and someone would know how much you love them and they would take advantage of it. And then he says these words that are like a dagger. He says, but this is not about your distrust of them. It is about your distrust of me. Because you do not trust that if someone injured you, that I can make you whole. So the distance you see in yourself is your attempt to put yourself back together again. Okay. That is why you have to be willing to say, I know what I see, but I'm willing to see something else. So I started watching me. And most of us are not proficient at watching ourselves. We watching everybody else, how they interacted with us. And I started watching myself. And here's what I found. With little kids, I'm ooey gooey. I'm like, baby. The other day, I grabbed Peyton. I kissed her. And Kedron said, you don't ever do me like that. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, not today. I'm going to work on that. And in my mind, I've been saying, one day I'm going to see Kedron. I'm going to run up to him. I'm going to kiss him. <laughs> Not today, but a day. And I started to notice that as people got older, the more reserved I came. Why? Because I don't think Pepe can really injure me. Ava can't really injure me. But when you, a, a kid in the first grade will tell you, you ugly. They would tell you your breasts stink. They would tell you your hair color is funny. They would tell you, girl, that's a weave. That ain't even your real hair. So by the time people are adults, I have created all of this space between us so you can't injure me. Now, you're going to say that makes sense. It may make sense in the world. It don't make sense in the kingdom. So that's why you got to say, okay, God, what's these things I have in my life that I've had for a long time? Maybe I learned them from my mama. Maybe I learned them from my daddy, whoever I learned them from. Maybe I learned them from my pain, from my lack of my experience. But how much of this stuff in my life don't really belong here? So we're going to end with this scripture. No, we're not. We're going to end with these daily actions. Here are your daily actions. You have to, number one, decide to choose love. You got to decide to choose it. Because if you decide to choose it, the Holy Spirit can tell you when you're out of it. And I would like to submit to you because a lot of you are nice people and you think that because you're nice, you're operating in love. But even sometimes your niceness is fear-based. 
Sometimes people don't tell people the truth. You think they being nice. They just afraid to tell. They, you, are, you actually afraid to say what needs to be said because love doesn't mean that we just jump through the daisies and we never really deal with issues. But here's the thing. Me and Mika had this conversation the other day. You want to know if you're in torment? How irritated do you get when you're trying to help somebody change? Because when you're irritated, your irritation is an indication that you're in fear. Parents do this with kids all the time. Think about this. Your kid runs in the street. What do most people do if their kid run in the street? Snatch them up and pop that butt. Because my fear says, I don't want you to get hurt. So I want to create enough fear so you don't choose that anymore. And many of us are still doing our life this way. I don't want to get hurt. So I'm going to choose something that looks safe, but it's really just a cover-up for fear. Because the safest place to be is wherever God told me to be. So, number one, I got to decide to choose love. Number two, I have to invite the Holy Spirit to adjust me. I have to invite the Holy Spirit to adjust me. Show me how I think about money. Show me how I think about love. Show me how I think about conflict. My biggest one really is about conflict. I was saying to Edwin the other day, I was like, listen, if I ever feel like I'm in a situation, it's one of the things I'm working on. If I ever feel like I'm in a situation where the only way to get out of it is to escalate, I'm like, well, let me go ahead and escalate way up here. I ain't got but one good escalation in me. No, listen, right. I got one good escalation in me. I actually had a dream a couple of weeks ago, and in the dream, um, we were in a football stadium. A lot of us, Pastor Ellen wasn't there, but I do remember Brian was there and a lot of y'all was there. And somebody had let a lion out. And we was all running. And Brian, Walter, and I, as we are running, we look at each other and we go, we can't outrun no lion. And we just turn around and go back and fight the lion. And at the time, it seems like a noble dream, but I'm thinking, this seems off. This seems really off because, first of all, we could have spoke to the lion if it was a kingdom position. But, and so the Lord was like, because that's your, your, your thing is always escalation. So it's like, if I think you talk crazy to me, I talk extra crazy to you. So what's the place that you're stuck that you need to let the Holy Spirit adjust you? And it just may be overall. Like, I had so many times I took that challenge not to say something negative. He just like, them just fear words. Because when I started, when he said, take the challenge to say something negative, I thought negative meant saying something bad. He was like, no, it's saying something that's not kingdom. It's saying something that's fear-based. So judge where it's coming from. So decide to choose love. Invite Holy Spirit to adjust you. And then number three, do what he says. When they need water turned into wine, Mary says something so simple. She said, do whatever he tells you to do. There may be people that the Lord is like, you need to apologize to them. You're like, I ain't apologizing. Do what he says. And don't add no extra stuff. Like, I'm only apologizing because the Lord told me to. Because don't nobody accept no apology talking about, I'm only apologizing because the Lord told me to, right? So do what, decide to choose love. I don't really know what it means to fully walk in love, except for what I see with Jesus. And what I see with Jesus is that because he walked in love, everywhere he went, there was miracles. Everywhere he went, there was provision. And everywhere he went, people were made aware of the kingdom. Jesus is my example of walking in love. Jesus literally could have blew his breath and killed every one of his enemies. He actually could have thanosed them. But he didn't. <laughs> On the cross, with nail pierced in his hands, he could have blinked and wiped it all out. It was love that held him on the cross. It's love that held him on the cross. It's love that raised him up. In love, there's always a resurrection. Resurrection. 
In love, there's always a resurrection. He can resurrect a relationship. He can resurrect health. He can resurrect your money, whatever somebody stole from you, whatever you lost, whatever. He can give it back. That's what I mean when I say somebody owes you money and you don't let the fact that they owe you money go and you don't even realize that God had favor to give that money back to you a hundred times. But you in fear over the fact that they, and so now you ain't going to let nobody have any money even when he tells you to. So you got to decide to walk in love. You have to let the Holy Spirit adjust you. And then number three, you got to do what he tells you to do. Amen? Amen.